Good morning, everybody. Good to be together this morning, and thank you for coming to Greater Alton Church. If it's your first time here, we're so glad that you came. Uh, we hope that you'll be encouraged uh, today by the Word of God and by your experience here. Uh, I've got a couple of things I just want to mention once again. We have a ladies' retreat coming up in just a couple of weeks, and I want to I want to encourage all you ladies to sign up, you know, at the Welcome Center as soon as possible. It's important that you do that. They're trying to get a count, and it would take a load off my wife's mind if we would just uh, cooperate. So make sure you do that today if you can. Uh, there are also some new dates of the marriage retreat. We've got that on the Church Center app if you ever pull that up, and those dates are September the 15th. And the 17th, I've already had somebody say, we've already got the marriage retreat figured out. Yes, we do. And we're going to be looking at the music in marriage. Uh, we're going to learn how to make beautiful music together in New Harmony, Indiana. What a, what a way to play on the words, huh? And so we hope you'll sign up for that and be a part of, of that uh, weekend. For several weeks, we've been looking at families and uh, looking at some good ones, too. We've looked at the family of Joshua of the family of Timothy, uh, at Noah's family. Mike did a fantastic job talking about that. And then last week, we looked at the prodigal's family, having some insight there. A family probably we rarely connect with ours, but we should. And uh, there's some good lessons from good families, but there's also some good lessons from some bad families, from bad examples. There really are. And it's having the courage to look at them sometimes or where we can learn, we can learn these good lessons from bad examples. Here's a passage in, in uh, Proverbs 24 that gives us an, uh, an example of this. Solomon said, I walked past the field that belonged to a lazy man. It was a vineyard that belonged to someone who understood nothing. And he says that this place has got thorns growing everywhere, weeds are growing everywhere. Uh, and uh, the, everything, the walls were broken down. And then he says in verse 32, I looked at this and thought about it, and this is what I learned. I learned this lesson. A little sleep, a little slumber, take a nap here and there, and before long, you'll have nothing. It's as if poverty has come swiftly, the book of Proverbs says, like a thief that has broken into your home. And he's taken everything away. And today, that's what I want to do. I want us to have the courage to look at a family that lost everything. And the lessons we can learn from this family. What family are we talking about? I'm talking about the family of Lot. Now, we're going to be spending two weeks on this. We're going to look at today, part one, and next week, part two, because there's a lot about this family uh, in the Scriptures. And uh, what we notice about this family is, is it's you, if you would like to get more familiar with this, with this home, I'd like to give you an assignment. Read Genesis 13 and Genesis 19, and you'll learn a lot about this guy and the rest of his family. What do we know about this family? Well, Lot is Abraham's nephew, his younger nephew, and uh, he has been at Abraham's side living in Egypt. And, and here is the father of faith who is raising this young man. No one knows what happened to Lot's mother and father, but he is close to Abraham. They have, they have uh, experienced lots of success and blessings from God. They both have accumulated lots of material, lots of herds, lots of wealth along the way as well. Because they've lived in a rich land of Egypt. 
And so finally there's a time when they are called to leave Egypt. Abraham is called to leave and and Lot goes with him. And so they, they come back to the place where God promised Abraham that they would he would have all of this land in Canaan and his as and his descendants would and his family would grow to be as many as the stars in the sky. And and when you read this you find that they come back to this original altar that Abraham had set up. It's still there. And Abraham is worshiping God and Lot worships God with him. But it isn't long before they start getting into it. Now Abraham and Lot don't really get into it, but all their herdsmen and some of their family start arguing amongst themselves. It's getting a little crowded around there because their herds are growing even more. God is blessing them with even more. And so they begin to, there begins to be friction over where, where the herds are going to feed and things of such. And so Abraham and Lot decide to separate and go their separate ways. It'd be best for the family. And we find out Abraham stays in Canaan while Lot goes to this beautiful lush valley, the Jordan Valley, and he happens to set up his tent near the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, those two cities. And then we find out what happens to Lot. He begins to get pulled in by the culture and he begins to have not, he begins to be tormented. In fact, if you'll read here in Second Peter 2, this is an interesting passage because you see Lot, he loses everything. He loses his family, his values, all of his fortune. And yet look what the Bible says. Peter says this about about Lot. And God also destroyed the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them until they were ashes. He made those cities an example of what will happen to those who are against God. But he saved Lot from those cities. Lot, a good man. Uh, One translation would say a righteous man. Lot, a good man, was troubled because of the filthy lives of evil people. Lot was a good man, but because he lived with evil people every day, his good heart was hurt by the evil things he saw and heard. He's a righteous man. Peter calls him good three times. Says he has a good heart. He says he's a good man. Other translations say he's a righteous man. He had a righteous heart. And yet notice he put him, he's in the middle of a cesspool. He's in the middle of Sin City. He's in the middle of a culture that's just in bad shape. And it, and notice his heart, this good heart of his is tormented, tortured, because he's living among these people every day. He's hurt by it. His home is tormented too. Not just, not just a lot, but his home, his family is tormented. It is tortured by the tolerance they have in the culture they're living in. Someone said this, it says, sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. And that's true about Lot. It's the sad truth. He loses his values, he loses his altar, he loses his tent, he loses his influence, he loses his example, his fortune, and also his family. So why are we looking at this guy? Because there's good lessons in this bad family. Good lessons that he would want us to learn. I was driving my truck the other day and I was noticing that all the safety features it possesses. Some cars today have uh, 
that we all have seat belts. All of us, how many of us remember when there were no seat belts in the car? Exactly. One that will, freedom, freedom. Then they, I had a car that you had to put the seatbelt on to start it. And my dad hated that car because he, I said, dad, you got to put the seatbelt on. I'm not putting no seatbelt on. I'm an American. I can't go anywhere. This is the craziest car. And he would unhook if he had that feature. Why are the safety belts there? Why is there, a, why are there windshield wipers? Why are, why is our, are, are there airbags now? And why are there, now lane departure cameras. All these safety features are in place because of something tragic that occurred. There was an accident. There was a wreck. And because of that, someone said, we got to prevent this from happening again. And so all these good things come from something tragic. And we come to this place where we see a family that's just wrecked by its tolerance and its choices. And can we learn something from it? Absolutely. And this story is in here because of that, so that we can learn and be blessed. So I want to ask, what you to do is, as we're looking at this, the first three points here that I want to point out about Lot and his family, could you take just um, and ask yourself, this, just take a moment and ask yourself as we go through these the next two weeks, is there any similarity between me and Lot? Is there anything that I can identify that go, oh man, oh wow. Because we want to learn a lot from Lot. Okay, so what what can I do? What, uh, today I'm calling it How to Wreck Your Family. I've had people say to me, what? You're going to teach people how to wreck their family? Absolutely, Lot did it. And so how can, how can I wreck my family today? Hmm, well, number one, if I want to wreck my family, I can wreck it whenever I'm selfish. Just be selfish. Be just be a selfish person. Think of yourself. Think of three people. Me, myself, and I. Let that be your family. James says it this way. Are you concerned about getting ahead? Then your life will be a mess. You will be doing all kinds of evil things. This is Lot. He's a selfish guy. He's ambitious, but it's selfish ambition. You know, we ought to be ambitious. God calls us to be ambitious. We ought to be ambitious for his things. But Lot is not ambitious for God's things. He's ambitious for himself. He's driven by it. Like I mentioned earlier in Genesis 13, there's, there's a dispute that's happening. Because of this selfish ambition, there's conflict going on between the herdsmen, between Lot's family and Abraham's family. And that's where you're going to find a lot of conflict. At least I can say this. I, I think you all know this. The root of all conflict is some selfishness somewhere. Right? That's exactly what's happening here. Look what it says here in in Genesis 13, verses 8 and 9. Abraham said to Lot, we are close relatives. This is while they're having a conflict. He says, we're family. We shouldn't argue. And our men shouldn't be fighting one another. There's plenty of land for you to choose from. Let's separate. You go north, I'll go south. If you go south, I'll go north. Notice how Abraham, he wants peace so bad. He doesn't have to have his way. That's a sign of maturity. That he He's like, you know what? I'm not interested in what I want. I'm interested in having peace that what God wants. And notice as we read on the contrast between Abraham and Lot. It says this happened in verse 10. Before the Lord had destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And when Lot looked around, he saw there was plenty of water in the Jordan Valley. And pay attention, church. It says here, all the way to Zoar, the valley was green as the Garden of the Lord. This place reminded him of the Garden of Eden, the stories he had heard about the Garden of Eden. Or the land of Egypt. He had experienced the rich lands of Egypt. How many of you guys know the my pillow guy? Hi, I'm my pillow guy, and I'm here to sell you a pillow. I've got some great material I got from Egypt, from the Gaza, from Gaza, Giza, Gaza, whatever, but it's a great, for the best sleep in all your life, that's mypillow.com. Don't forget the Egyptians did that. No, it's, it, it's a, it's a rich, fertile land. It's still known to be a rich, fertile place. And notice what it says. He says, so Lot chose the whole Jordan Valley for himself. And as he started out toward the east, he and Abraham separated. Abraham stayed in the land of Canaan, but Lot settled near the cities of the valley and put up his tent not far from Sodom, where the people were evil and sinned terribly against the Lord. Now you'd think a younger man, being the nephew, he'd say, you know, uncle, you're the older man. Out of respect for you, you choose. You should really be first choice. But Lot doesn't do that. Lot doesn't consult God before he chooses. He doesn't, really doesn't listen to Abraham. No, he looks with his eyes. We're going to learn next week. He's thinking with his eyes. He sees this rich, plush land. And he's thinking of himself. And he chooses all of it. Did you catch which direction Lot was going? Abraham said, you go north, I go south. You go south, I go north. Which direction did Lot go, class? He went east. Didn't even listen to Abraham. What's that all about? Well, imagine here's a map of all the land. And and if you split it this way or this way, north and south, the Jordan Valley would have a little pasture for both of them. He takes all of it on the east. All for himself. Isn't that interesting? You want to wreck your family? Just look out for number one. You want to lose everything? Don't consult God. Don't look into the Bible and see what God has to say. Don't ask anybody spiritual, anybody faithful. You know what you're doing. You know what's best for you. Don't think about your family. Think about what you want. What's best for you. And before every decision, always ask yourself this great question. What's in it for me? And you'll wreck your family in a heartbeat. Allow your comfort and your convenience to shape your plans your goals, your decisions. Because here's what will happen when you do. You'll pass on that very value to your children and to your spouse. I've said this before. A lot of us as parents, I'm concerned about this too. I do not want my kids to make the same mistakes I make. But I somehow, there's been times I've got it confused. I think that that means I really need to watch out my behavior in front of them. But church, the truth is, our kids catch our values. They may not do the exact same thing you do, but they will capture the same values you have. 
And so if if this self-absorbed, selfish ambition is caught up in, in your life and you're not watching for it, your kids will end up having this. And that's why many times you're arguing and having conflict with them because they're a miniature version of yourself. You ever notice that? I butted heads. One of my sons reminded me of me. And how do I help him? Because he knows all the angles just like me. Now our kids learn these things. Our spouses learn these things. A Song of Solomon talks about the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. I just did a quick look at that this morning. Those little foxes. You know, Samson tied 300 little foxes together. Remember? And ruined the land. These little, what are the little foxes with their little, little choices that we make? Little thoughts that we have, little attitudes we have. The little decisions and choices we make all begin to add up. You want to wreck your family? And I've seen a lot of families get wrecked. I've gotten close to the guardrails many times. And I have found that one of the culprits is, I'm selfish. I'm selfish. Number two, you want to wreck your family? You, you'll wreck your family. When I'll wreck my family whenever I compromise with the culture. Whenever I compromise with the culture. Lot sees green. He sees a green valley. But he fails to see the red flags. He doesn't see the red flags because he's just so caught up in the green. And he pitches his tent near the most evil, influential, corrupted city in the valley. I mean, it isn't long. He, when he pitches his tent, you find him all of a sudden now inside the city living in a house. And not just a guy, an outsider, a foreigner anymore or a stranger in his community. He's become actually a friend in the community. When you read Genesis 19, he's at the city gate with all the other fellows yucking it up and, invi- and welcoming people as they come into the city. He's, he's made himself more popular and more connected, more embedded in the, in the city. His daughters are engaged to marry a couple of fellows from this town that has a reputation for being vile and corrupt and twisted. One day, he's at the, at the city, he's just uh, talking to his buddies, and all of a sudden, here comes two guys walking up, and he can just tell by the way they look, the way they talk, the way they act, these are two special guys. And he walks up to them, hey, listen, he can tell they're new to the area. They don't know everything that's going on in town. And he goes, hey, guys, why don't you come stay with me? He hears them talking about where they're going to, where we're going to stay tonight. And he goes, hey, well, come stay at my house. Oh, no, no, no. They say, we're going to, we're going to camp out. We're going to camp out in the town. We're going to go to Walmart, the parking lot. You know, you can always camp there for free. And we're just going to, we're going to camp out. And, and he goes, oh, no, no, that's not a good idea. What do you mean? That's not, you ever been to a part of town? Maybe in St. Louis. And, so, and you say, hey man, let's... Oh, you don't want to go there. 
There's parts in Alton. Don't go down Gold Street. Don't go down Silver Street. Years ago, my wife and another woman were knocking doors for the church. And one of the guys that was leading our area sent them down Gold and Silver Street in Alton. And they're walking by the bar there and somebody goes, hey, baby. And I, after I got through choking this guy, I said, what are you guys doing down there? Well, we're just door knocking. This is one of the most dangerous places in town. And, and see, Lot is saying the same thing. He goes, you don't want to stay outside. Come stay at my home. And so he invites him in his house. And, and while they're, while they're there, there's a pounding at the door. Boom, 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 boom. And he goes, who is it? And it's a bunch of, bunch of guys living in town. Perhaps men he knew. Hey, we understand you got some fresh meat in there. We got some two guys in there. We want you, bring them out. We want to have sex with them. What? We want to have sex with them. That was a norm. That was a norm in Sodom. Homosexuality was accepted. It was an accepted lifestyle. Everybody did it. And what's Lot do? He goes, oh no, no, we can't do that. Look at what it says here in, in Genesis 19, 6 through 8. Lot went outside and shut the door behind him. And then he said, friends, please don't do such a terrible thing. I have two daughters you can have, you can have sex with. I'll bring them out and, and they haven't had sex. You know, I'll bring them out and you can do whatever you want with them. But don't harm these men. They're guests in my home. What? Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Hey, you got these two guys that are living in your house? Yeah, they just, it's their first night. Bring them out here. We, we want to do something with, we want to have sex with them. Oh, no, no, no. Here, my daughters. You can have my kids. Does that sound weird? What is happening to you lot? I heard somebody say, well, because they're homosexual, they're not going to do anything to girls. So, that's still crazy. But that's what happens. That's what happens when you begin to tolerate and compromise with the culture. When you begin to flirt with the culture. I've seen a lot of serious families, followers of God, do some of the craziest, weirdest stuff. Is that true? Don't look at them. We all probably can think of things, oh man, I've done. What was I thinking? I'm supposed to be spiritual, but the culture begins to pressure us, begins to put its squeeze on us. Accept this, accept this. How does this happen? Well, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a little at a time. A little bit at a time. We start flirting with the world. We start tolerating the world. And then we start to compromise with the world. Here's a passage up on the screen. James says it this way. But each person, he says everyone, every one of us, Every one of us experienced this. You know it's true. And we can experience this. We have and we can 
And if we're not careful, we will. But each person is tempted by his own evil desires. These desires lead them on and drag them away. When these desires are allowed to remain, catch that. When these desires are allowed to remain, they lead to sin. And when sin is allowed to remain and grow, it leads to death. You see, you and I get what we tolerate. I get what I tolerate. Notice lots, notice, did you notice he says, he says friends. He calls these people his friends. The Hebrew word, uh, means more than just an acquaintance here. Uh, some translations will put, they'll, they'll say things like brothers. They'll put that word in because it means a friendship that's close to kinship. I mean, he is involved, you see. And this guy who used to live outside of the town, used to live outside of this culture, has become a friend of the culture. He's become a friend of the world. Want to wreck your home? Just keep flirting with the world. By the way, the world makes a terrible partner. Look at the Bible says here in James 4. Anyone who wants to be a friend of the world becomes God's enemy. What? That sounds so harsh. That's how serious it is. And this happens when we begin to flirt with the world. We start to justify the things that we say. The things that we see. Oh, that's not a big deal. Or the things we do once won't matter. You see, down deep inside, we think we're stronger We think we're smarter, and the truth is we are wrong. I don't know if you notice or not, but church, we're in a cultural battle right now. I mean, it's a bloodbath out there. And the peer pressure that we experienced in the second grade and the third grade, it was waiting for us when we got in junior high and high school. And after we graduated... It followed us right out of the high school into our college. And as we graduated there, it followed us right into the workplace, into our neighborhoods, into our nation. You know that's true. We're in a, we are in a battle right now with the culture. And we have to resist. We have to fight back. It says here in Romans 12 too, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Don't let yourself be pressured and squeezed and conform to the values of this world right now. Now, why is that so important? Well, look at First John up here on the screen. John says this way, don't love what the, world, the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. And that's exactly what's happening to Lot. And that's exactly what happens to you and I when we begin to compromise. Our love for God gets squeezed out and replaced with the love of the world. I want to ask you a question. What spiritual value is non-negotiable in your home? It's a hill you will die on. It's non-negotiable in your home. Because I tell you, if you're the kind of person that's constantly negotiating with the world, you will lose. I want you to ask yourself, what am I and where am I compromising with the world? 
read this illustration. A New York family bought a ranch out west where they intended to raise cattle. Friends visited and asked if the ranch had a name. Because, well, said the would-be cattleman, I wanted to name it the Bar J. My wife favored Susie Q. One son liked the Flying W and the other wanted the Lazy Y. So we're calling it the Bar J. Susie Q. Flying W. Lazy Y. And the guy goes, well, that's impressive. Where's all your cattle? Well, well, none of them survived the branding. It just didn't happen. And that's what happens when we begin to negotiate. When we can't make up our minds, we need to make up our minds. The Bible says that. How long will we waver between two opinions? Serve God or serve Baal? Make up your mind. Don't be that person that's tossed to and fro. By the world. Here's a passage I thought was interesting. Ephesians 4.17. It says, do not give the devil a foothold. Now, some of you are rock climbers and you know about those handholds and footholds. And they don't have to be very big, do they? And it's, that's, that's the idea. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the world a little place, a foothold in your life. Why? Because it'll take it. It'll, you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. It's interesting that I was noticing that in one translation it said that don't give the devil a loophole. I don't know, what's a loophole? So I had to Google that and do some research on that. What's a loophole? And a loophole happens to be a narrow window that's about this wide that's in a castle. It's a little bitty window where you can shoot arrows through it. And he's saying don't even give the devil a little window. Why? Because it can be fatal. And see, compromise, folks, it mixes the signals that we send to the rest of our family. It mixes the signals we send to our wife or our husband and our, our sons and daughters. I mean, here is, here is the nephew of Abraham. The nephew of father, the father of the faith. Faithful Abraham. Who's become a friend of the world. He's, again, I say it, he's lost his tent. He's lost his altar. He's lost his house. He ends up losing everything. And he ends up in a cave. After Solomon and Gomorrah are destroyed, he, wants to, he, he flees to Zoar. And look what the Bible says here in verses 30 through 32. Lot was afraid to stay on in Zoar. So he took his two daughters and moved to a cave in the hill country. One day his older daughter said to his sister, Our father's old and there are no men anywhere for us to marry. Let's go get our father drunk. Then we can sleep with him and have children. Man. When you begin to compromise the world, your family will compromise too. What is non-negotiable in your home? That's a big question now, isn't it? You see, these two daughters, they both get pregnant and they start, they start having children. And th- these two daughters become the nation of, of Moab and, and, the, and the nation of the Amorites, which happen to be the two greatest enemies of Israel. If I want to wreck my family, just be selfish. If I want to wreck it, compromise the world. Keep compromising. You're sure to do it. And here's the third one. When I drag my feet to do what God says. This is crazy. I read Genesis 19 and just go, wow. I can see myself at times. 
That's what makes me go, wow. Early the next morning, the two angels tried to make Lot hurry and leave. They, 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 the angels come and say, these, these guests say, you need to get out of here now because, because God's going to destroy this city. Abraham, you know, has prayed. God, is there 50 people faithful? Will you spare it if you can find 50? And Abraham begins to think, well, maybe. What about 40? And it's like an auction in reverse. 35, 20, 10. And God says, okay, if there's 10 righteous people, I won't destroy the city. There are not 10 righteous people in this city. There's one. And his heart is so troubled, so confused, so messed up. And God wants to save him. Early the next morning, the two angels tried to make Lot hurry and leave. God's always trying. Sometimes, does God have to make you hurry? Does God have to kick you by the seat of the pants sometimes? Sometimes he does. They said, take your wife and your two daughters and get away from here as fast as you can. If you don't, every one of you will be killed when the Lord destroys the city. And the next verse, wow. Lot just stood there. Hmm. Let's think this over. Maybe we ought to think this over. Let me. One translation says he hesitates. Another translation says he lingers. It means that he doesn't do anything. So the angels took Lot and his wife and his two daughters by the hand and dragged them out of the city. That's my translation. They led them out of the city. Come on, come on. No, we got to get out of here. And they're dragging their feet the whole way. It's like if your house is on fire and the guests that you have that night say, we need to get out of here before the house collapses. And you go, wait a second, maybe we ought to think this over. Is this really that bad? Because I don't know, there's a lot of good stuff here. I don't want to lose. The angels drag him out and his family out of Sodom. And when they drag him out of Sodom and his family, think about it. Every, both angels have a hand. Lot's hand, his wife's hand, daughter number one and daughter number two. And they're leading, and they get them just outside the city. And then they say, okay, so you need to keep going up into the mountains. You gotta keep going now, okay? And Lot says, no. They drug him out of the city, and Lot, you need to keep going, and he says, no. Here's how the, the contemporary English version says it. Lot answered, you have done us a great favor, sir. You have saved our lives, but please don't make us go to the hills. That's too far away. The city will be destroyed before we can get there, and, and we'll be killed when it happens. Then he, listen to this, listen to this. There's a town near here. It's only a small place. But listen what Lot says. But my family will be safe if you let us go there. Isn't it amazing? Here's a guy that in the middle of Sin City has to be drugged out of town. Now thinks he knows what's safe for his family. This is the same guy who earlier would say, take my two virgin daughters and you can have sex with them. You see, when I drag my feet, you can hear the others drag too. 
It encourages my family to drag their feet too. Look what it says here in Genesis 19.26. But Lot's wife looked back as she lingered behind him and she became a pillar of salt. She's dragging her feet too. They don't want to leave. And because they're, they're not urgent with what God has to say, she is charred from the fire and brimstone. God sends to those two cities. That's what some translators say, that it's not necessarily a pillar of salt, but a pile of ashes is what she is. Want to wreck your home? Don't take God seriously. Don't bother to research on your own what God means. If you read something in the Bible, dig in your heels, resist, And if there's any application, be reluctant and slow to apply it. Drag your feet, procrastinate, vacillate, argue with folks who speak into your life. Make excuses for why you can't do it, but I can't because, and you'll, you'll lose everything. Got one last passage to show you as we close. This is Genesis 19 and um, verse 16 up here on the screen. There's another way the translation says it. Lot kept lingering in the city. So the men grabbed his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters because of the Lord's compassion on him and brought them out of the city and left them outside. One of the things that I, I know we listened to a sermon like this going, oh man, I'm a bad Dad, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad kid. I'm not, that's not the goal of this. I want you to understand you're a loved dad. You're a loved mom. You're a loved kid. The Lord has compassion on you, has mercy. He knows how hard it is to, to, to live in a crazy culture. He understands the pressure of all that and He sends you help. And all He, listen, I love this about this passage. As, as tormented, and maybe you're tormented and troubled by some of the stuff that's going on. You watch the news. You're watching your schools. You're watching your family. Your kids are coming on with questions. Your, your, your spouse is coming on with crazy stuff that's going on at work. And you're thinking, well, what am I going to do? I don't know where to turn. I want to encourage you to know that the Lord has great compassion on you and to, wants you to take His hand. and Let Him lead you out of this. Maybe something's got a hold of you. Maybe not so you call the culture. Maybe it's a stronghold or a habit that's got a hold of you. Or maybe you've been hurt so much it's got a hold on you and you're like, I, I can't get out of this grip. I've got some kind of addiction. It's got a hold on you. It's got a hold on me. What do we do? God says, take my hand and I'll lead you out of this. Take my hand. Don't drag your feet. And I'll lead you out. And I will help you. And you won't wreck your family. Next week we're going to be looking at some other things that Lot did that wrecked his family. I hope this, this, these two lessons will just be good for you and I to listen, to look at, and learn some good things that will help our families in today's world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your 
the, the great examples in Scripture, the great examples, Father, that we have in families. I mean, I'm inspired by Joshua. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I want to be that kind of man in my home. And I'm really intrigued by the, the, the family of Timothy that, that passes on faith to the next generation. I want to be that. We want to be that, Father. We want to be the generation that passes on great faith to the next. And Father, I think about Noah. And how we we're here to build. We can build something wonderful. We can build your church. We can build a reputation. We can build the love of God, your love throughout the world, Lord. And and we can build we can build a place that saves everyone. And what a what a task we want to be a part of that. We want to be a family like that. And Father, we want to be that family that helps others come back, that encourages others to come back. And Father, I just pray tonight uh, today. That as we look at Lot, Father, we desire, we desire to be a family that doesn't compromise the culture. That you, you make us like your family to be selfless. Like, like you were giving up your son. Help us think of others over ourselves. To think of where, where our family is going this morning. Father, help us be the kind of homes that refuse to compromise so quickly to what the world is pressuring us to be and do. Oh God, we take your hand for only you know how to lead us out of this. And Father, we just, we won't drag our feet. We'll not drag our feet because we know where you take us is so much better than what we can come up with on our own. Bless every family here, Father, with peace. Help us learn these good lessons from all these families and be blessed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the calm of your presence, I am listening, Lord. I Oh uh-huh.
high.